this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another requested review. Requested, requested review. review. This one is from an old friend, Gavin Reed. All right, Gavin. This is actually not a requested review technically. This is one of his many um, uh, contest wins. Mm-hmm. I think half of our all, all of our episodes each year go to him. I think that's the bylaw. <laughs> no, uh, he, he's got Which, you know two free a year. Then he's a Patreon subscriber, and then I think he said he was going to pick up another one along the way so we could uh, do some DLR. Which contest was this? Uh, this might have been one of you know we were doing those year end contests where we were like at the end of the year we're going to pick one person that was going to win something and then get a free yeah. review for life, and he won it like two years in a row. <laughs> it was okay. like everybody who had requested a v- review during the year <laughs> Kevin's gonna leave us reviews in his uh or leave our kids reviews in his will yeah <laughs> here's the next 20 years of reviews for dig me out when that, uh when uh, that my Nina daughter and, Nina and, and your Zora can Zora go. are doing it are they'll be uh look up Gavin's reviews and <laughs> we'll probably still owe him beyond that yeah <laughs> it'll be like little kiss you know, or or they'll be the the Tommy Thayer and uh, Eric Carr of our. Uh... <laughs> oh God! Don't wish that on them. Let's wish they have their own identity. Yeah, let's do that. So Gavin suggested an Australian band. Jay, surprise, surprise. Uh, they're called Rat Cat, not Mouse Rat, but Rat oh, Cat. Mouse Rat, of course, being the band from Parks and Recreation, fronted by uh, Chris Pratt's character Andy Dwyer. Well, that was uh, I. I don't watch that show. I had no idea that that existed. But I was that was the basically the joke I was going to make. Is Rat Cat sounds like a band from a TV show, like the punk band from the the sitcom. Well, they were called Mouse Rat, and then he went solo and he started a kids band called Johnny Karate. That was pretty awesome. And he played at like kids parties, and he had a he had, like actually like a a program where he did kids songs. Uh, the Mouse Rat sounded like. He was basically imitating every 90s voice. Like he had his Pearl Jam Eddie Vedder voice for one song. And then there was another one that was like his like Dave Matthews voice and his Lane Steele. It was pretty funny. Mm. Like the different songs on that show. Completely unrelated to what we're going to be doing here. Talking about Rat Cat. Who were, Jay, a band I had never heard of. Had you ever heard of, of Rat Cat? <laughs> no. Were you familiar like with I, the like Rat I said, Cat? When I saw this in the in the schedule, I thought it was made up. Did you confuse the uh, the title of the band or the name of the band with the title of the album, like we've done in the past? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, Jay, they're a real band, and they put out a number of records actually in the nineteen uh, nineties, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about them right now. History of the band. So the band was formed in 1985 in Sydney by Simon Day on lead vocals and guitar, Victor Levi on bass, and Trevor Wintle on drums. There were members in and out of the band, but basically it's Simon Day the whole time. Um, 
they signed to a label called Waterfront, and they put out a uh, EP in 1987. That was followed by their first uh, actual album, The Nightmare, was released in July of 1989. Uh, then they signed to Ruart, which is another, I guess, a bigger label, I guess. Um, sure. And uh, they released what we're reviewing, Jay, which is Blind Love. It was released in June of 1991. Um, the single, Don't Go Now, reached number one on the ARIA charts in Australia. They had a number one single, and they were chosen by Australian Musician Magazine as one of the 50 most significant moments in Australian pop rock history. Oh, my goodness. As far as that album charting at number one. Um, really? Yeah. My goodness. That's a I mean, top 50 of all time. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah. The band with themselves were caught off guard. Um, Is this like an MN, uh, NME thing? It where they might like, be. Where they, they go, go over, over inflate young bands and then throw them away. Possibly. Um, the next Beatles. Oh yeah. Later. So moving on. <laughs> so for this record, the lineup was, uh, Amir Zaid. And I believe it was a uh, bass. And then Robin St. Clair was drums. And, uh, Amir said at the time when this all happened, uh, it was really weird. It happened so quickly, and sort of it was sort of difficult for us to understand what had happened, and it put pressure on us to come up with the goods. We have to look at what we've done, but not perform any sort of dictated standard, not perform to any sort of dictated standard by what we've achieved. So basically, they felt the pressure of having a number one single. Uh, they ended up going on tour with In Excess, which obviously by 1991 they were a pretty well established band and had a bunch of hit singles. So. They did their Australian tour with them, and then uh, they started a four-month tour of the UK, Europe, uh, and the United States, where they were the opener for bands such as Ride, Iggy Pop, Dinosaur Jr., Teenage Fan Club, Violent Femmes, and others. So they put out uh, uh, a live album, Rat Cat Alive, to sort of follow up the success of that record. After that, in uh, 92, the album Inside Out was released, Easy Rider. So it took five years for another follow-up. There were a bunch of EPs and singles. There was an EP in, 80, in uh, 94, another EP in 95, and then another EP in 97, and then uh, singles throughout the era. So they were consistently busy between basically 1987 and 1998. And then the album that we're reviewing, Jay was re-released uh, for its 10-year anniversary. It was the Blind Love plus Tingles compilation. On the single for Tingles, there were five B-sides, and which was basically, it had the song That Ain't Bad, um, and then five songs. So you could get a 16-track version of what was originally an 11-track uh, album. Now, we did review the original album and then Gavin provided this to us because this album was actually not released 
in any um, logical way in the United States. So it doesn't appear on Spotify. You can't even stream it on YouTube. It's uh, regioned only to the into Australia. <laughs> so we can't even listen to one of those Australian or, or one of those uh, YouTube streams where they all, mm-hmm. you know, they've created a playlist. So the only way we get it is for uh, Gavin to provide us the MP3s. He sent us the re-released version in, from 2001, so we were able to hear all the tracks. We're primarily going to fo- focus on the album. We'll talk about some of the the um, bonus tracks as well, just for the hell of it, since we actually listened to them. So, Jay, I know I usually start with you in situations like this. I'm going to start in our what we liked, what we didn't like section. If that's all right for you. With you. Okay. It's, it's about time you, you um, stepped up. Well, usually I like to break up my nonstop talking by having you talk. <laughs> but uh, I know how much you like listening to me talk, so I'll just go ahead and keep talking. Uh, Jay, something that I liked about this record is uh, they're unabashed in embrace of pop. And I mean pop in the very original sense in terms of 50s and 60s sort of um beach boys and buddy holly and and that sort of pop Uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of these songs are very reminiscent of that era Uh, the first track on the album yes i want to go has a very beach boys melody to it song run and hide track two has a sort of 50s bo diddly jangle to it yeah uh, if you slapped it then on a stone roses chorus <laughs> <laughs> yeah um there's a lot of homage to that era of rock and roll this was also reinterpreted by jesus and mary chain um in the 80s and you know they layered on a lot of distortion and and feedback to kind of provide their own take on it and i think rack hat is sort of evolving that sound here they sort of took what jesus and mary chain did uh primarily on the first record i mean they continued it on in in later records but they sort of cleaned up the distortion and the added drum loops and stuff on albums like automatic this is a bit fuzzier um it's not quite as abrasive as those records um they embrace the really? pop end well have you heard have you heard psycho candy by just mary chain i mean it's no. just a constant wall of feedback okay. with drums buried in the mix and vocals buried in the mix gotcha so imagine that over you know this is much better produced in terms of and it, i like psycho candy for what it is but in terms of being a pop radio you know band this the they distill it a little bit for radio than than Jesus and Mary Chain did. Um, not that they say they didn't. I mean, they scored a single with Just Like Candy, but not in the same way that Rackhead are doing here. Rackhead are, you know, this also reminded me in terms of their melody of like the Wanna Dies, um, just embracing that like very simple major key pop. Yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, going through this record and and hearing that 
when so much of what we listen to is so minor key and dark uh, a lot of the time. So um, Mm -hmm. what did you like about this record? Uh, I'm with you on all that. Um, I like that track one really pulled me in. I like the um, that ain't bad. Um, It set up this kind of a new wave sound at times, like the rhythm section, Mm -hmm. particularly like the. That pulsating bass, um, which comes back here and there and a couple other tunes. And once I picked up on that sound, I was able to pull it out of some other songs that that made them kind of interesting mashups of different styles. So you, like you said, you've times have these almost uh, early rock and roll kind of melodies, but then there's like surf rock tendencies on some of the guitar stuff with like heavy tremolo usage. Mm-hmm. But underneath it on some of these tunes is a very like early 80s rhythm section kind of sound. Um, so it's it can be a pretty unique combinations of different styles and um, even parts of songs can take dramatic shifts between all those different uh, genres, I guess, or subgenres of rock and roll, which is which is interesting. Overall, there's a interesting sound of the band. Um they have a, a lot of fuzzy bass, which for the early 90s was not that common. Yeah. So, so you know, they fuzz out the bass and you get this pretty decent, um, you know, meaty kind of rhythm going on. And then I think when it works the best, the vocal is heavily reverbed, like <laughs> over the top reverb. And, and drums, too, have a lot of reverb on them. Yeah. So... When things come together, it works like all that reverb kind of layers on top of the fuzz and you get like a good full sound and it's almost psychedelic. Sometimes the guitars are hit and miss for me on this record. There's times when I think the guitars really kind of take the song to the next level. They really add some uh, space, make it sound big, kind of explode choruses and pre-choruses um, there's other times where they just are kind of ugly sounding, you know, just weird fuzz tunes that uh, just kind of are a little bit grating. So that part of it's hit and miss, but when when it comes together, it, it's a unique production, I guess I'll say, um, that makes the record stand out. Um, and when it doesn't work, I'm just starting to pivot to what doesn't work on the record. Um, that production is um, a bit much. It's a little difficult for, of a listen. Um, also depending on how loud you have it and what you're, where you're listening to it, mm-hmm. it kind of sounds direct. Like, uh, like a whole record sounds like they recorded everything direct into something and then just added tons of reverb and yeah. delay. Right. It doesn't, it has this weird, like artificial space to it. I don't know. Did you get that? Yeah, the guitars, I, I definitely picked on them, especially sounding very, I don't know if it's unnatural is the way to put it, but there's just, they don't sound like they were through a nice tube amp. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they threw a mic on an amp. It sounds no. like there's something else going on here, like a fuzz box straight into the mixing board or something else that it can be, it can work for certain songs and certain sounds and and then other times it just it doesn't sound good. I don't it know. Sounds like they might have been using a Boss it. Metal Zone pedal. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just kind of flat and not dimensional and yeah. just mid-rangey kind of like farty sounds. Yeah, like not good guitar tone. 
And not that every record in the world has to have, you know, amazing guitar tone, but sometimes it, it uh, in this case, it becomes a distraction, I guess, and, and makes it difficult to listen to. Um, especially if you're making a record, like you said, that's all major chord based for the most part, you know, classic, uh, pop rock melody territory. Yeah. We didn't get it to it at the beginning. So I want to interject some Patreon, uh, feedback that we got on this record. So Gavin said, these guys were the band of the era in Australia that broke the mainstream from, from an independent label. Wow. Um, not a huge buildup. Then the first two singles were huge. Both were lifted from the EP Tingles. I'm not even sure they got a proper release as singles. Everyone had the EP. This album was a big pre-order album, but even by the time it hit, their star was fading. Each successive release sold less until they stopped. Perhaps the jangle wasn't heavy enough. No matter which way you cut it, it's a very important band for the independent music. For independent music in Australia, opened a lot of doors. Um, Darren Leach says, "I was too young to see them back in '91, but they played a 20th anniversary show in Sydney in 2011. I flew from Adelaide." to see the show as they rarely play live these days. I was a giddy teenager all over again, caught in a fuzzy pop dream. The album still holds up today, and I still listen to it regularly. That Ain't Bad is one of my favorite tracks from the 90s. For a brief moment, Rat Cat were the biggest band in Australia. Keith Sawyer says, I have no idea. I had no idea these <laughs> these guys were popular in Australia. Someone put a rat cat sticker on my garbage can in my first <laughs> college radio station, which is how I knew of them. Plus, they had a song that sampled the NASA audio from the Challenger explosion. Mm. So we're going to get to that a little bit later because <laughs> I have some thoughts about Uh-oh. that. Uh, but talking about what you were saying jay there are some sounds on this record which are i'm I'm pretty surprised that this did do as well um at radio as it did i I can understand why the single uh don't go now i mean that's a really great just pop single with the use of the female counter melody and and it's just it's just a the right song i I can understand to happen in 1991 uh it's still like kind of pre-grunge so you don't have that going on at
You want to know what my note is on that re- that song? What? That was probably one of my least favorite songs on the record. Really? Um, my note was, it sounds like Fuzzy Spin Doctors. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not, just not my thing. Not my feel. It's very slappy. Ding, 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 you know, I don't know. Well, uh, I, I get, I understand what you're saying by that drum beat. Yeah. Yeah, I get, I, you know, uh, yeah. It's, I still think it's a, it's a good radio song. I mean, the Spin Doctors had two huge radio singles, so they, you know. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> but I didn't, I, it's not as dopey as those songs are. <laughs> well, that's true. It's hard to be that. I just meant from a sound standpoint, that's like kind of the. Right. If you added fuzz on top of what they did, kind of change out the instruments, get rid of the that clean strat sound and replace it with this. Sure. <laughs> and they followed oh that with um, Baby Baby was the next single, and then That Ain't Bad. Those were the singles that followed. And I think those were the right choices based on listening to the overall record. The only problem I had with Baby Baby is they try to do a bunch of key changes at the end, like they're freaking Bon Jovi or something, mm-hmm. and uh, it just doesn't work for me. He's, his voice can't do the key changes. He's, he's like straining to try to make the modulations. and It doesn't quite work. Uh, but overall, the song is, it's a cool song. Yeah. Um, and I liked That Ain't Bad. I think that's really probably my favorite song in the whole record. Um, I liked uh, Pieces. And then there were a couple other, a couple of them that didn't work as well for me, like Hopeless Mind and... Hopeless Mind was... Um... It just seems underdeveloped. Yeah. Like, I, I liked it, but it's just, it's one of those songs where, boy, you can hear a, a decent producer come in and say, all right, guys, let's get this pulled together. Like, right. this can be a, 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 a much shorter, much more concise. Let's get it down to the parts that are really good and just sharpen it. But uh, I think there's some some decent ideas in there. Yeah, and I think you mentioned the reverb. I think this suffers from just a little bit of like, 80s production in terms of like the drums are reverbed out pretty heavily yeah. um, and you can hear it in in the space in certain tracks oh um, yeah where it just echoes in the, the vocal the vocal in that song like you hear the back you know like the the, the reverb like kind of crack and return like <laughs> it's so heavy that you can actually hear where it ends and comes back again it's just yeah now since we did get the bonus tracks i just do want to touch on them real quick. Um, there were a couple songs that I did like. The song Tingles, I, I thought that was a good song. And Skin was was another one. Um, there were two tracks that I, they were sort of middle of the road for me. One was Don't Go in the Water, which I thought I had good music, but the lyrics were just awful to that song. At least I thought so. Um, yeah, that's the that's the song in the sequence we listened to it. I mean... To me, that was the third time on the record, and that's where it was a heavy between the sound and then the lyrical content. It was like, oh wow, they're like doing like this surf rock thing, right? <laughs> I didn't expect. I mean, based on track, uh, the first song that ain't bad. That's not where I thought we'd be going by track three. So right. Um, I also didn't care much for, or I, I thought it was okay, but I didn't really love my bloody Valentine. Um, I thought they were really dipping heavily into the Jesus and Mary Chain sound. On, yep. on that song the the track i have to talk about which um i had a real problem with is getting away oh parentheses from the world which is like this 
five minute long. It's it's a song, but they inter they, they splice in audio from the Challenger space shuttle explosion of of the like the uh, not the like television audio, but like the audio of the Mission Control, and I just found that really distasteful to include that in a freaking pop song and a pop song album which i thought it was part of the album when we first reviewed and then we, we realized that it was bonus tracks that were on an ep but still just to use it and to think about the fact that you know the challenger explosion happened in 86 and you know i was 12 when that happened that had a big impact on me i'd been to like cape canaveral in florida and had a nasa hat and was wanted to go out to you know flight school in miramar after seeing top gun and you know, I was all about being an astronaut at that point when I was 12 years old. And we watched that happen live in my classroom. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you did that too. But yeah. that's when, you know, the teachers would wheel in the TV on the cart and you'd watch, yeah. you know, NASA. It was a big deal. It was a real big And there was a teacher, Christy McAuliffe, was on the yeah. spatial. So that was why it's such a big deal. That was horrifying. Yeah. And so for this to show up, this is five years afterwards, and there's audio used in this song. I was like, I was ready to write the album off at that point, thinking that this was one of the tracks on the record. To know it's a B-side, I guess, mitigates it a little bit, but I still don't love the fact that they used that audio. It really rubbed me the wrong yeah. way. I don't know well, if it felt the same way. We could maybe use a little context here. I, that, I don't know how big... I, so... For us, it was a huge deal because at that time the program was still new. You you watched it in school. You idolized the astronauts, and to be sitting there, you know, in class and watch this happen in real time was not one anybody ever expected to happen. No. So it was like we created these heroes, these national heroes, and then everybody congregated as a school activity to watch them all die. Yeah. You know, so it was pretty heavy. So I don't know if the rest of the world sees it that way. Um, but I, I felt like, well, one, the song's not very good. Yeah. Let's, let's just start there. It's a it's a boring, meandering song on the record. And I guess to make it maybe even more offensive, it feels like the addition of the samples tries to salvage what is really not a very compelling song. Mm-hmm. Um, tries to give it more weight or context or something or interest and it does it at expense of not only not working but also being frankly pretty offensive so yeah didn't get it neither did I and I'm going to overlook it because it was not part of the original album and that's what we're talking about is the original album people can check out the expanded version if they like that came out in 2001 or they can check out the Tingles EP separately um, because there are some good tracks on that, but um, so you love the movie um, Space Camp, huh? Dude, I wanted to go to Space Camp. That's why I went to <laughs> Cape Canaveral. I still might have my NASA hat. I have to. I have to go through my boxes. I might still have that what, thing. What happened to? Uh, oh, okay. It was yeah. That was Joaquin Phoenix in that movie. Who at that time was named Lee Phoenix. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Shouldn't have been named Rising. His his brothers and sisters are obviously River, Rain, Summer, and Liberty. Those are some hippie ass parents. Indeed. Okay, let's get back to let's circle back around. Let's get to this record. Let's talk about our overall ratings. Were the album 
better EP, decent single. Jay, just on the 11 tracks for the original album, how do you rate it? This uh, this movie also starred Tate Donovan, Tom Skerritt, a <laughs> couple of your favorites, I'm sure. I love Tom Skerritt. He's in Top Gun as well. <laughs> Come on, you, you know Tate Donovan, right? Yeah. Okay. I can see his face you, in my head. But you're I you're my see. character actor uh, hero. I'm pretty sure he did a guest run on West Wing at some point. Uh, I think you're right, yeah. Uh, what my score? I'm at an EP. Okay. I, I like uh, four, four or five songs on here. I'm probably at an EP too. I'm at like six songs, maybe seven. So we're really, really close to being a uh, a full length. But I'm gonna go with like a six or seven song EP and then call it a day from there. Now I might swap off some of those Tingles tracks, such as Tingles and Skin, for uh hopeless mind and racing maybe and then i got an album yeah yeah because one of those songs i liked was skin so yeah i I need to do some swapping i did like the end we didn't talk about that song at the end but i felt like that was yeah that was a cool song to end the album yeah for them to get kind of melancholy and yeah slow that was the one that worked the best for me yep well jay we need to thank Gavin for his pick of Rat Cat's Blind Love. This was an interesting pick. Uh, got to explore some sounds that we haven't heard in a while or, or at all. Um, and I believe this was his Patreon pick. And we need to thank two folks, uh, Jason Pan and Tara McCook. They just joined us at the 250 level, which means 12 months from now, they will be getting their requested review, just like Gavin had his requested review. And actually, I think Tara actually jumped the gun and might have put in a requested review as well. So we might be getting to one of hers real quick. Uh, anyway, so that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks. Tate Donovan was in Law and Order. Of course. I'm looking for. Would you At think uh, West Wing? Was he ever on okay. the West Wing? Hmm. Doesn't look like it. Hmm. Hill Street Blues. Maybe I'm Godzilla, confused. the series. There was a Godzilla series? I don't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Jay, I wanted you to know that if you like what you heard, you can leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. All dogs go to heaven, too. Great. That's good. And you can join us at Patreon by going to www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and join us at the 250 level to get your review after 12 months and um we're almost filled up at the 250 level so you better get them in quick because we're running out of spots so oh snap we might have news on some other levels well yeah and we got to talk about if we've got the slots to do it yeah yeah we'll see we'll see what happens he was in argo that's where i know him from most recently, he's one of the. Uh, he's Bob Anders. Of course, Bob Anders. <laughs> he's one of the main characters in Argo. He's a major actor. Was was he the guy with Steve Buscemi who got put in the wood chipper, or is that Fargo? Wait a minute. No, no, no. Argo, the uh, the hostage movie. The Negotiator. <laughs> with Kevin Spacey and. He had a Screen Actors Guild Award for outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture for that movie. I don't recall. Ben I don't Affleck. think he was in that movie. Batflack was in there. Batflack. He made it. 
<laughs> in the Batfly cave. Was Tate Donovan's mother also named Martha in that movie? What? <laughs> you know, that's why Batman and Superman teamed up finally at the end of Batman versus Superman, because their mothers were both named Martha. What? Did you not see that movie? God. Uh, no. I think I started to try to watch it. And Batman is it. beating the crap out of Superman because he has like a Krypton kryptonite, you know, weapon so he can yeah. defuse Superman. And then Superman is like, he, he realizes that Lex Luthor has uh, his mom, who's Martha, you know. Luthor? No, not Luthor. I mean, Bat- whatever Superman Superman's mom is. You know, the, the you know he crashes in that Kansas cornfield yeah. and the, the two people raise him yeah. well the mother is named martha but uh-huh. batman's mom is also named martha martha wayne and he's like you gotta save martha and batman's like what do you mean i gotta save martha he's like you gotta save martha he's like martha's my mother and then he has like this i'm not gonna kill you because we have the same that's awful it's oh it's it's a terrible movie that sounds like the worst scene that I could possibly I could, think of. I could do of five hours on why like Batman versus Superman is, is a terrible movie, but that's a separate podcast. Whew. Yeah. We won't think. even get into uh, how awful um, most of the characters are in that movie and how unnecessary entire plot lines are to the entire thing and the stupid CGI monster at the end. And Space Camp was only Tate Donovan's second movie. Well, it he really had a might meteoric be rise. I mean, he went on to do clean and sober, sober after that. With Michael Keaton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Memphis Bell, which I know you've seen. Well, yeah, because it's got... Uh, oh, who's in that movie? Is Matthew Broderick in that? Uh, I think he might be right. Let me look. No, hey, Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine. I get the Matthews mixed up. But that might be Harry... Is Harry Connick Jr. in yes, Memphis Yes, he is. Yes. He is. Sean Astin. Sean Astin, of course. Billy Zane. Frodo. Billy Zane. Yep. Yep, yep. Memphis Bell. Memphis Bell. It's a 90s movie. Yep. Jay, I think we're done. All right. All right. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. And to this extended piece of whatever it was, uh, we'll... We'll try to trim it down. Uh, so whatever you're hearing will probably be shorter than what we actually talked about in terms of Tate Donovan's career. So uh, that's it for JM Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber. Or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.